Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. There's a constant call that's happening. There's, uh, let, let me ask you this. Do you get calls from debt collectors? You may not want to raise your hand there. Do, do you get phone calls from telemarketers? Yeah, we, we always get phone calls from people in places and companies and businesses, maybe that we don't necessarily want. Sometimes we get phone calls from people that we know and we don't answer because of busyness. And sometimes we get phone calls just because we're in this certain place in our life. We're in this certain mind frame and this certain attitude. And when the phone call happens, we, we do just what I just did. Reject it. Or maybe even answer it with an attitude after it's wrong 73 times. What do you want? What do you want? You know, th this is just a real simple elementary illustration to remind us that since we have been created in the image of God, God had a specific plan for each and every one of us to walk in. And even before we knew him, he knew us. And in all of the orchestrating of God's divine knowledge of who we are, creating his image and for his purpose, he is actually calling us into something. But this is what I see a lot of Christians do when God begins to ring their phone. They look at it and say, uh-oh. <laughs> they look at it and they, they hit the side button and they reject it until it gets to the point to where it's almost annoying and God is calling and they answer it and they say, what do you want? What do you want? Let me just say this. If you are not in some active form of service following the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have been doing God that way. You have been rejecting phone calls. You have been ignoring phone calls. You have been responding to God. What do you want? We, we've been in this series of messages, month of missions. October is the time to where we dedicate from the stage missions. You came in this morning and you saw a ministry table set up of one by four missions for jail ministry. And if you're not a part of jail ministry and you want to be a part of jail ministry, you can talk to Joe and Carmen, the trustee. Part of that's John. If you want to discuss any of that, you can. Let me just say this as a side note real quick too. Because hopefully what this message is going to do this morning is so stir up inside of everybody in this room that nobody leaves here without saying, I know who I am, I know what I've been called to, I know specifically what ministry I'm supposed to be a part of, and you're, you're engaged with that. But jail ministry is a unique thing that, let me, just, let me just ask it this way, should Christians be involved in jail ministry? If you believe that to be true, raise your hand. Absolutely, if you're not raising your hand, you're wrong, all right? The Bible teaches us. Jesus says, you visited me in prison and whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So Christians should be involved in jail ministry. Should you be involved in jail ministry? That's a big question, right? Let me just say this. Not everybody should be involved in jail ministry. Because jail ministry is not always an easy thing. Christians should be. It's the right thing to do, but not everybody should be in jail ministry. And you say, Andy, how come... Everybody, every Christian shouldn't be involved in jail ministry because God has not created everybody the same and everybody has different giftings, talents, 
and callings into specific ministries that makes up the body as a whole. And so as we're thinking through this month of missions, we have to land on this spot. As last week we kicked it off with Paul Bernard and church planting and how God uses that as a tool to shake the nations. Did you know that God wants to use you in whatever place of life you're in? through you and the ministry in which you are called to, to shake the nations as well. God wants to use you. One of the greatest things I think that, that, that oftentimes blows my mind is to think that, that God wants to use just a simpleton, a simple-minded country backwards preacher named Andy Bowles. God wants to use. If he used Gideon, he wants to use us. He said, Andy, how can I understand what my calling is and how to walk in my calling? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, walking into my purpose, personal purpose, answering the question God created me for. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. This is going to be one of the most interactive messages you will get from Embrace Church on a Sunday morning. So I need you to be fully engaged, totally aware. With, I'm, I'm going to try to preach in a good time, not preach too long, not preach too short. <laughs> There's a stride in there somewhere. But I need you to be interactive with me, okay? Can we do that? All right. So I want you to describe yourself in three words. How would you describe yourself in three words? I've used this method for a lot of years in ministry over this specific topic. You know what happens oftentimes when God begins to overshadow people and call them in the ministry? One of the first things he helps them understand is who they are. You remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? He was grieving over his friend Uriah the king. He had passed away. And in that moment, he had a vision and he saw God high and lifted up and, and and he understood who he was, who his people were, and what was needed, what was requested by God in that conversation. God says, who shall we send? And he said, here am I, send me. It was his calling, right? Oftentimes, God helps us to see who we are. One of the first things that we see is that we're undone and we're sinners, now, now, that's an obvious. A lot of times when I carry people through these three thoughts and I ask them, describe yourself in three things, three ways. The tendency is to say, man, I, I know who people have known me as. I, I know how I've acted in my marriage, in my relationships. I, 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 I know, I, I, and sometimes we're tempted to think some negative thoughts about describing ourselves. You don't have to have a show of hands, but, but just some in, in, inflection real quick. How many of us this morning when I said describe yourself in three ways, three words, some of us were already starting to think negative things? Yeah. It's honesty there, right? Yeah. I don't want you to think of yourself in the negative ways. I want you to describe yourself in some positive ways. Describe yourself in, in some positive ways. If I were to describe myself, I would say, and this is going to, by the way, it's going to feel like you're, you're being a little bit boastful. Let's go ahead and guard yourself for that. I know everybody in here is humble. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know I'm humble. Amen. You just lost your humility. But so, 
So I feel like I'm an evangelist at heart. It's one of the first things I, I, I feel about me. After being, being inside of me for 47 years and, and learning me and seeing my activities and knowing my desires and knowing my own, so I can say, man, I want to see lost people get saved. Man, it is a passion for me. I, 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 don't know, I, I don't know what drives you. We're going to talk about that some in a little bit. I don't know what just fuels you, but for me, it, what fuels me is when I meet somebody who is far from God and they're disconnected from a relationship with God through Jesus and I have the opportunity just to tell them about Jesus and how Jesus can save them from their sin and bring them into freedom. And when they give their lives to Jesus, do you know what I do on the inside? Go crazy. There's such a party happening on the inside and it usually leaks all out from the inside to the outside. And, 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 and that's, if I were to say, describe Andy in three words, evangelist would be one. Uh, another one would be compassionate. I, I, I try to be as compassionate. And, and you guys have probably heard me share this plenty of times before. I think Laurie has this, this, this uh, spirit of discernment, this gift of, of discernment. She can discern who needs something in an audience a whole lot better than I can. But I have such a desire to help meet that need compassionately. Man, I want to make sure that people are welcomed and people are loved and people are appreciated and people know that they can be a part of. And I'm drawn uh, to people who, who have needs because I feel like God's, God's made me compassionate. Now, let me say this. Years before, if you would have known me, you would have said, he's the least compassionate person I know. My wife prayed this into me, okay? My wife used to pray, God, help that man be more merciful. I, I, was, I was the preacher who wasn't, uh, I think I mentioned this this past Wednesday about other preachers. I wasn't necessarily the preacher who was preaching hellfire and brimstone. I was the preacher throwing the coals on the hellfire and brimstone. You know, I just driven in that, everybody's going to hell. And I think that was a part of the evangelism, but, but then this, this desire for compassion kind of hits. Well, what about you? Describe yourself in three words. Let's do this. This is going to be a very interactive time because we're going to lead to a certain conclusion and every person in here is going to leave to be missionaries this morning. Some of you are like, oh, snap, I made it to the wrong church service. Okay. Turn to your neighbor those three words. If you can't get three, at least get one or two. One, two, three, go. <laughs> Amen, that's enough. Cut it off. All right, good. Hey, y'all, shh, shh. All right, here we go. Y'all think y'all walked into the next part, which was now describe those three things, define those three things. It's not, you, you can't just be satisfied, satisfied to say, okay, here they are, but the reason they are to you is because they mean something deeply to you. You have defined those, and everybody's definition is not the same definition. So how would you describe each of those in your, in your own way? How would you define that? It's real important. What we're ultimately leading to today is for you to understand your calling and know that every follower of Jesus Christ is called. 
Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherein you have been called. Every one of us as a follower of Jesus have a specific task and direction and duty that we're called unto. And God is going to use that unique makeup of who you are as you have described yourself in three words, as you define those three words, he's going to uniquely use those in your calling for your path and for your purpose. You say, Andy, this sounds so much like some psycho babbling that, that the world would seem to offer. No, 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 no. Let, let me remind you that everything that the world has, it has because of the grace of God offered to it. What the world has and has has been, been corrupted has been corrupted by the world that first was once pure with God. And so where does all this come from? Exodus. If you got your Bible, slip over with me real quick to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to look in verses 1 through 10 in this story of Moses. And it's great that Shanna was even talking about the freedom that God gave through the, through the ministry and the life of Moses. And we didn't even coordinate that, did we? The Holy Spirit coordinated that. And so we're going to read Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the, back, to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame out of the, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. And you probably would have done the same. It's a miracle that's happening right there in the desert. He said, why the bush is not burnt? Verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Take off your shoes from your feet, for the place wherein, whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, God is speaking to, to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, their slave drivers. For I know their sorrows and am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey and unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezurites and, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What we've read this morning is, is the calling of Moses. If I were to ask you who were the top five characters in the Bible that you admire the most, more than likely, probably 80% of Christianity is going to have to place the finger on the name of, of Moses because of how God used Moses in such miraculous ways, absolutely, but also on how Moses, we can identify ourselves with Moses. 
If you begin to read Moses' life, you'll see in the earlier stages, there was bumps and bruises and stones to navigate and walls to tear down even before Moses was born. If you go in the first chapters of the book of Exodus, you'll see that Pharaoh was intimidated by the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, because they were gaining a greater population than even the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh, being intimidated by this, says every male that is born of the Hebrew people, you got to get ready for this, destroy those, kill them. Now, it's not not a secret that we also have lived since 1973 in a land of genocide over our infants as well. There is a push even beyond abortion, and I think there's been some great things that have been strides made against abortion in our nation. And, and let me just take a side note and say this as well. Maybe you in your past, you, you've had an abortion, and that is a heavy weight to carry. Maybe you as the man have encouraged the woman that you are with to have an abortion, and that's a heavy weight to carry. I want you to understand that there is forgiveness with God over those things. Somebody had better say Amen. There is forgiveness with God over that, all right? And there is, what I'm doing right now is I'm not speaking these things to shame or to hurt anybody. There can be freedom and there can be forgiveness and there can be relief from that shame. But we can't ignore it just because it may not have happened to somebody in our midst, right? We still have to talk about those things even though it might have been a reality to us in our past. And I want you to hang on to that because you guys know that we don't talk about those things quite as much probably as we ought to talk about those things up here. But there is a push from a certain group of people in our nation who's even attempting to try to have babies aborted as old as two years old. Can you guys believe? And they call it abortion. It's it, which, which abortion would, I guess, be the same as murder, right? Either inside the womb or outside the womb. But we look at stories like this and we go fast-forwarding to Herod and we see how Herod did the same thing about Jesus trying to stomp out the Messiah to come, who is Jesus. He did it then. It's not. Let me say this. It is the motivation of the enemy to come after your children. He is coming for you kids. You say, Andy, don't be startling me this morning. You better get it here. You better get it here. And you better get it in the right way because we're trying our best to do this in the right way. And mama, daddy, grandma, grandpa, you you better stand up for Jesus. You better speak out for Jesus. You better teach Jesus to your kids. And they can't be too early. As a matter of fact, while they're in the womb is a good enough time to start laying hands on the belly and praying over the child and claiming salvation and claiming a godly spouse and doing those things for that child. And so what 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 the enemy is attempting to do through through the position of Pharaoh, which was a title of king in Egypt was to, to stomp out a deliverer. <laughs> He's trying to stomp out a deliverer, but God has a way, a method in, 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 in saving the deliverer to save others and rescue the deliverer to rescue others. And that's what he's doing here in the life of Moses. And, and so we see the story to where Pharaoh says to do this, but it's so, it's so amazing when you read the first five chapters of the book of Exodus. This is some fun stuff. This is better than days of our lives, y'all. I'm telling you. Better than the Gilmore girls, I promise. Watch that junk, no way. But anyway, 
I don't know why Grey's Anatomy is coming out too. You guys get the point. Okay. So, so the midwives of the Hebrew people, in response to the oppression and persecution of Pharaoh and his kingdom, they're, they're delivering these babies and the little girls are okay to keep, but the little boys have got to go. And, and so the midwives come whenever they're getting persecuted on what they're doing with the babies. They're saying, well, they, these, these uh, Hebrew ladies, man, they give birth quick. And all of you women who went through that 27-hour delivery are like, man, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous of that. They, they deliver too quick, and, 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 and we can't stop the, the delivery the, the, or, the, or the birth, and, and we don't know what to do. And so what they did with Moses is they hid Moses. The Scripture says that, that he was a goodly baby. He was, he was one in which Pharaoh was after. And so Moses' mother and Miriam, Moses' sister, they hide him, and they craft this little ark this little basket waterproof basket of bulrushes and they put it in the nile river of all rivers god is doing some amazing things by the way through this entire story whenever you read this thing completely out how many of you guys watch national geographic okay one thing you know about the nile is there's hippos and there's crocodiles right and and she puts him in the, and Miriam is watching from afar off, and Moses is floating, and everything is intentional, not just by Moses, or excuse me, Moses' mom, and Miriam, but God's got his hand in this, and Moses floats right into the arms of the Pharaoh's daughter. She takes up the basket, and she says, oh, look, it's the Hebrew's kid. What do I need to do with this? And she had compassion, and God's preparing her heart, and Moses is, she says, who, who, who should I get to wean this baby? And Miriam is there and says, hey, I, I can find a Hebrew a mother who can wean. And God's just sovereign in all of this thing and the creating of Moses and, and, and the delivery of Moses and the directing of Moses even in his infancy to the right places. And Moses comes back home for three years to stay in his own mom's house with his siblings and he gets to the certain age to where they can keep him no more and he's weaned at three years old and he goes back to Pharaoh's daughter and he's been raised in Pharaoh's house from that point on. So for the rest of that time, 37 years, Moses is raised in the home of Pharaoh. He is a Hebrew by birth, but he is an Egyptian by his education, by his religion, by his raising, by his peer influence, all of that. If you know anything about the story in the previous couple of chapters, certain things happen in Moses' life to help define his calling. Let me say this. You might have scratched your head in your past wondering why you were born, to who you were born, when you were born, with the circumstances of your birth, in your raising, in, in your educating, in your religious experiences, all of these things. You might be wondering, how did all of this happen? Why did all of this happen? And sometimes we can discount it if we've had bad experience to say that God wasn't there, that God didn't know, that God can't use that. But I'm here to tell you, God knew it, God was there, and God wants to use it as long as you'll let it get out of your hand and into his hand, right? 
but it's got to get out of your hand and into his hand. And, and so what we read in Exodus chapter 3 is where Moses is encountering God at the burning bush, and now it finally goes, and the story develops. It's not just in those verses. You've got to read over to chapter 4 how it goes from his hand into God's hand. You see, Moses has this burning bush experience to where he hears God's calling. How do, I, how do I discern my purpose? How do I understand specifically what my calling is? So let me ask you this real quick. How many of you guys at the conclusion of this message are going to surrender to be preachers of the gospel? One hand halfway went up and halfway went down. There it is. There we go, Barlow. All right. Amen. All right, one. That's expected, guys. Don't be nervous. You're in church. You can relax. It's the coffee making you have the jitters. Okay. How many of you guys feel like at the conclusion of this service today, you're going to go out and be a missionary to the Congo of Africa? Oh, well, hands went up. Now hands go down. Wait a minute. That is a serious forward of address right there, brother. Let me just tell you, probably not quite as many, right? I mean, I, I could say, how many of you guys are going to, at the conclusion of this, this message this morning, say, God, send me to New York City? Don't even know how to make salsa in New York City. For you old people like me that remember that commercial. Probably, there may be some hands that go up, but most hands are not going to go up. Say, well, Andy, if, if it's not preacher, if it's not a missionary to, to Congress, if it's not just missionary to uproot my family and move, move to New York, then what is the purpose of this message and how can my calling really be effective? How, what, is, what is my ministry and how can I live out my ministry? Let me tell you a little story. Um, October of 19... October of 1994. God, it was a long time ago. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I wasn't even born yet. Shut up. Um, <laughs> October of 1994, I was at a Baptist student union meeting at Delta State University in Cleveland, Mississippi. I was going to Delta State University trying to play baseball, and I was going to be an airplane pilot. I was getting my introduction to... Uh, aviation, private pilot. I, I wanted to be a, a crop duster in the Delta. I thought, man, how cool was that? And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Me, me and my brother grew up with, my older brother, he, he has his pilot license. He has an instructor license. His son flies for the Navy, and he, he flies people all over the place, and he's kind of living that dream. But, but we watched this television show called Wings years ago. Yeah, we, and we loved that show. It was two brothers who had an airplane business, and we was like, that's what we're going to do right there. And it's going to be crop dusting. And so that, that's, what I, that's what my heart was set on, you know. And I'd never been in an airplane before I went to Delta State. I'd never flown an airplane. That's what I'm going to do. Just a confused 18-year-old boy, but show up at this Baptist Student Union meeting, and I'm sitting in this room, and then one of the, one of the peers, college students, is leading that night, and they kind of had it set up like the Tonight Show, and they were interviewing different people and just having a good time. But then all of a sudden, he steps away from the desk, and he received a word from God, and he began to preach off script. And he began to preach. 
and the Spirit of God settled down in that place. And all of a sudden, some unique things happened. And he called for an invitation in a room, probably about this size with that many chairs, metal chairs. Remember how uncomfortable it was sitting in that chair, not because it was metal, but because the Holy Spirit was making me uncomfortable. But the metal didn't help. And so everybody was just up front, no stage area, no altar, and everybody was there. And I have my head bowed and my eyes closed. And I just had this overwhelming sense, this influence over me. And I heard this voice. Now, some of you guys like, can you really hear a voice? I heard this voice that said, Andy, you are going to preach. And I was like, okay, let me open my eyes and see who else in this room is named Andy because he wasn't talking to this Andy. Because this Andy just a couple of years ago was felling literature in the 11th grade with Clara James as my teacher in McGee High School because I would read the book and write the report, but I was not going to get up in front of nobody and say nothing. So it's got to be somebody else. Well, I eventually surrendered to that call. And the only thing I knew was preach. I grew up in a small country church to where it was a, it's a small crowd and, and the preacher was bivocational and, and, and he was a wonderful pastor, a wonderful preacher, a wonderful teacher. But this is what I knew in my limited understanding. I'd only been saved a few years, three years, got saved at 15. But the, the limited understanding I had about ministry was the, the guy that stands up on Sunday morning that leads the church. He preaches and when you got trauma at home, he comes to visit you. For me, it was he had to come home and tell my sisters to quit climbing through the bedroom windows in the middle of the night. Ain't none of them here, so I can tell them. Mama is, though. I hope they all watch Facebook. <laughs> I'll confess their sins so that they can be healed. But, <laughs> but uh, I thought that's all he does. He just preaches, and he fixes troubles. And I was like, I don't want to do either one of those. Uh, but I didn't, know, I didn't know specifically what all of that calling had entailed. Nobody took the time to walk me through what you're fixing to be walked through to more deeply understand what your calling is, what my calling was. When you, when you look at the life of Moses, real quick to go through this, because we're running out of time, but real quick to go through this, God did a unique thing of addition and to equal in Moses' life to help him understand specifically what his calling was. And by the way, when we look in the scriptures, it's not just Moses that can be in our example for this. We can see it in the life of Daniel. We can see it in the life of Paul. We can see it in the life of David. All throughout scripture, it seems like God uses this equation to help clarify our calling. And so for Moses, what was Moses' past? Moses' past, he was... He grew, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He spent, Moses' life is divided into three 40s, right? The first 40 years he grows up in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. The second 40 years he, he's living as a shepherd to his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro, marrying Zipporah, Jethro's daughter. That's where we get this Exodus 3, 1 through 10. He's actually going after what he lost, which belonged to his father-in-law. Just a side note, if you lose what belongs to your father-in-law, you go to the deepest, darkest places to find it, right? And so he, he's, this is the 40, the next 40 years is Moses with the Hebrew people searching out the promised land. Moses' past is, 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 is Moses' past is he's a, 
a murderer. If you'll go back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you'll see the story to where Moses goes out and he sees he sees a, a, one of Pharaoh's taskmasters with a Hebrew slave, and he's driving that slave and, and, and oppressing that slave. And Moses gets upset and full of rage, and he goes and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster and buries him in the sand. The next day, he shows up and he sees two Hebrews, and they're fighting. And he goes, and now he's a peacemaker to where before he was raging. And he says to these guys, why do you fight your brothers? And one says to the other, you're going you're gonna to kill us like you killed the Egyptian taskmaster the day before? Moses didn't know anybody knew anything about it. And word began to get to Pharaoh. And so Moses has got to flee as a fugitive. What is Moses' past? He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. That, that's his past. Some of us don't have too pretty of a past, do we? Some of us can identify with that kind of past. And some of you are like, Psh, that ain't me. I've never been on drugs. I've never spent a night in jail. No, no, no. You never spent a night in a physical sale. But you probably spent many a night in a spiritual sale, an emotional sale, and a mental sale, and a sale of sin. Right? <laughs> Moses' past is, is kind of sketchy and so what we do with this and understanding what our calling is, is to see in our past what God can use for our present. The, the crazy thing about this whole story is, is that in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, we, we see where this conversation is happening between God and Moses, and, and Moses has got this staff in his hand, this stick. What a great illustration for the day. It's got a... He's got a shepherd's staff. And God says to him, what's in your hand? He says, a shepherd's staff. Where had he been for 40 years running as a fugitive, as a murderer? And now he's just watching his father-in-law's sheep. And he says, what's in your hand? Uh, it's a shepherd's staff. He says, throw it down. And I don't want to break it. He throws it down. And it turns into a snake. And we are a snake-handling church, so... And he says, pick it up again. And he picked it up again and it became a staff. A representation of Moses' past. We are tempted so often to disregard and forget absolutely everything in our past as though God cannot redeem anything from our past. To know if it Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is true. And that's the song we are called. That's what that song is all about. That for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he can use all things. You say, Andy, when I was doing dope and making dope and selling dope, you mean God can redeem that part of who I was for purpose of me being now and living in my calling? Absolutely. You mean the times that I sold myself to be able to support my addiction, you mean God is able to redeem that staff out of my hand? Absolutely. You mean when I was a crooked business dealer that God can restore and redeem that staff out of my hand for something? now and for the future? Absolutely. You remember the, 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 I mean, the, the tongue that I have that I used to gossip and lie and backbite with that God saved me and God can use that in my, as, a, as a shepherd's staff in my hand? Absolutely he can. You remember, according to 
Philippians chapter three, the things that are anchors that hold us in the past need to be cut. But the things that can be used as propellers from our past are to be fueled to get us going forward. What was Moses' past? He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. He's a shepherd. And then he has this, this burning bush experience. I want you to have a burning bush experience today. In the burning bush experience, there's the exposure of Moses' passion. What gets you excited? Roll Tide football? Amen. Beat them doggone Aggies yesterday. Didn't get to see it, but I heard about it, and it was glorious. What, what, what fuels you? What excites you? What gives you passion? What gave Moses passion? It was obviously the children of God. His past was a murderer and a fugitive and a shepherd. What is God going to do ultimately in his calling? He's going to call him to go back where he fled from. Going to give life to where there was murder, where there was life taken. He's going to go back to the place as a shepherd, not of sheep, but over God's people. He is passionate. Know this, that God will give you the desires of Man, like pulling hen's teeth this morning. Yeah, give you the desires of your heart. Not, not on whim as it, as it pleases and delights him, the rest of the verse says, but he gives you the delight of your heart when your heart is lined up with his. What is, what is the delight of your heart? What do you see yourself doing? What is your spiritual ambition? If I gave you at the conclusion of today's service a million dollars and a hundred volunteers, what would you do with that? By the way, we don't have a million dollars. Don't get too excited. But I know the one who does. When you step into that calling, he may provide that for you. It may be one dollar be a lot of time. That's spiritual ambition. What are you passionate about? If you take your past, where have you been? And your passion, what gets you excited? It'll ultimately lead you to your calling. What are you to do? What are you to do? Moses, Moses is the one who, who helped God's people be set free from the oppression of, the, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he led them out with the mighty strong hand of God through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And Moses wasn't able to get them into the Canaan land, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. But he led them to the brink twice. Moses fulfilled his calling in that. Here's another interactive part. You guys ready? We're about ready to wrap this thing up. I want you to answer three questions to yourself or to your neighbor, however you feel right now. I feel the most accomplished when. When do you feel the most accomplished? There's a statistic put out several years ago that pastors all of a sudden got deeply involved in cutting grass and woodworking because they couldn't measure ministry through their people. They needed something to show progress, so they started doing those things, and it helped them feel accomplished. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? What is it that makes you feel accomplished? What is it that makes you feel most rewarded? I feel most rewarded when? Nobody talking? Amen. I like that answer. 
I feel most responsible when. Let it out, brother. It's okay. Amen. Church is always a good answer. It's not quite as good as Jesus, but it's getting there. Yeah. So you think about those things. When do I feel most accomplished? When do I feel most rewarded? When do I feel most responsible? And if we're thinking through what is my past, how, what am I passionate about, and can this equal my calling, then this will flesh some of that out for us. You say, Andy, my past was an addiction. And I believe that God wants to redeem that. I am passionate about seeing people who are in addiction be recovered out of addiction, then my calling is. It might be as simple as a conversation I had with a guy this morning who had the epiphany the other day in his recliner, a glorious place where God speaks so much. I feel like God's leading me to just help take guys to recovery. Is that a ministry? Is that a calling? Absolutely it is. It's a ministry and it's a calling and God can use those giftings in that person's life. And he's in this room right now, so I'm speaking like Daniel ain't listening. But, but he sees that. He was an addict. He's been rescued. He loves people who are in addiction and wants to see them helped. And so how does that apply itself for you? How does that work itself out for you? I want you to understand this real quick. The Bible teaches us four aspects of calling. First and foremost, there is a calling unto salvation. If you're here this morning and this message has energized you to do something for Christianity or Jesus or in a spiritual sense and you're not saved, you're going to be spinning your tires in mud you're, you're, not, you're not a part of the, the work of God. You're not a part of the kingdom of God. You're lost, you're dying, you're headed to a devil's hell where real people die a real death and spend a real eternity. And God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. As a matter of fact, God created you in his image and for a purpose and wants you to be saved. And maybe the reason you're here this morning is to hear a calling from God. And it's not to start a ministry, but it's to surrender a life. And today, today is the day you need to be saved. Sandy, how, how, how can I be saved? How can I be rescued? Well, the Bible says that we're sinners, that sinners deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus came and died for sinners so that we could be saved from the wrath of God through, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when he died on the cross and was buried and rose from the dead the third day, he did that for me so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could be freed, so that I could be welcomed into the family of God. And he did that for you. And maybe you're understanding this morning for the first time in the depths of your heart, there's something going on on the inside of your soul that says, yes, I need that. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved if you will Recognize you are a sinner and turn away from your sin. By faith, asking Jesus to save you. I stand on the authority of this book. The power that ushers this book from truth to revelation, the Holy Spirit, that you can leave this place born again saved. You can receive that call unto salvation. There's another call, and it's a call unto obedience. 
As a young Christian, maybe you hadn't been saved but a few months and you're just learning this call to obedience. You're walking into obeying what you know, what you hear and understand is truth and you're doing your best to live this thing out. Maybe your first step of obedience was baptism. Maybe your first step of obedience was a a dedicated time of Bible study and prayer. But to walk in that, to obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. But then as we grow and as we understand, there is a call to service. But ultimately, there is a call to a place of service. And a place of service does not have to look as formal as what the church makes it look. Do you mean a place of service means my name is on a piece of paper somewhere in a filing cabinet of the church or a computer system of the church that says I'm responsible of this ministry or that ministry? That's not always the case. That's, that's good for organization, and man does that to keep notes and stuff like that. But I am as your pastor this morning. If you will hear not my voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit, understand your calling. I am commissioning you out to go do ministry. To, to receive this place of service, to, to create that act of ministry, to do what God has created and gifted you to do. And it may look strange to the next person beside you. Don't you know that it looked a little strange to the Hebrew people when they saw Moses walk? It was almost like he was going back to the sheriff's office. Some of y'all been there? Yeah. <laughs> Turning himself in. Moses comes back and what, what you might do next might look a little weird to other people. That's not, this is, this is what you need to make sure of. You're not doing things weird to God. Don't worry about whether or not you're doing things weird to man. Right? Some of the best people I know, some of the weirdest people I know for Jesus. And some of, some of them are you and some of y'all are just weird. So... <laughs> But I believe God's got a, got a calling on your life. And the way we're going to respond this morning is maybe this morning you're here and you've understood that your past can be redeemed and there's effective things in that, like that staff of Moses that can be redeemed and used in your presence present to, 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 to be a part of your calling and, and that's becoming more and more clear. And, and you want to develop that. There's going to be people in the back who are counselors who would love to pray with you through that. This stage area is open if you just need to come and pray and say, God, give me a clear understanding and vision of what you're calling me to. I want to walk in this calling. I want to understand my purpose. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of feeling like I'm just a Christian that shows up on a Sunday morning and says, hey, to the preacher, so he knows that I showed up. And then I'm going to go right back to my work and my life and doing those things with a total disconnect connect from any service to Jesus. There was a lot said in that statement. All of it was true. I don't want you to be that, that guy. I don't want you to be that woman. I want you to be the person who actively is living inside of a place of ministry because God is birthing ministry and I believe for the end of times even. And he's doing it in you.